Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, November 4th, and we're catching up on tech earnings from last week. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by Fool.com senior tech specialist, Daniel Sparks. Daniel, how's it going? Good. Thanks for having me on the call. Oh, always a pleasure. Uh, Pretty busy week last week in tech, so much so that uh, we didn't get to hit everything we wanted to. Uh, We just focused on Apple's earnings last week. So we thought maybe it made sense to bring it back around, see what was going on with Twitter and Amazon. A lot of news coming out after they reported numbers. Yeah, in the Twitter and Amazon, particularly uh, interesting. Twitter's stock went up a little bit. Amazon went down. But as we're going to talk about, you know, we're not sure if, exactly if those moves make sense. But we'll check it out. Yeah, those reactions might be short-term blips and not really indicative of the long-term trajectory of either of those businesses. So, Twitter, the big numbers, revenue came in at 616 million, which was ahead of estimates of 605 million. Earnings per share came in at 13 cents, ahead of expectations of 9 cents. Um, I think those are the numbers that generally lead you to have a little pop after you report earnings, right? Um, Some some good-looking numbers there. Um, But, yeah, let's let's look back at what the company is trying to set out to do, and some of the commentary that we got from them. Kind of how those align. So a little while back, they said they're looking to do three things: increase discipline, simplify the service, explain what Twitter is, and why people should use it. And and I think we saw a couple different moves that kind of got at that. Um, one of them not really touched upon in the conference call, but the decision for the company to move away from Vine and discontinue that app, which is something that had, I think, a lot of people kind of scratching their heads. Yeah, the the Vine move was interesting, and um, it just really shows that uh, getting rid of you know some of their stock-based compensation, which has really become bloated lately, is a huge emphasis as they uh, strive toward gap profitability. Uh, obviously, you know one way to do that is to take a a segment of the company that's you know, bleeding cash from paying employees and not making enough money and and just cut it all together but you know there was a day when vine was vine was a big deal with uh, some vine stars and a lot of the stars that are on the platform are still famous today you know moved on to youtube and instagram um, so it it does kind of it highlights uh, some of twitter's missteps uh, since since vine came on board and Kind of an overall uh, product ex- execution problem they've had uh, across the board. Yeah, and and I think that gets at the idea of kind of simplifying the service a little bit, right? And and narrowing focus, um, getting more at the core product and and what people are engaging with all the time, and kind of focusing a little bit more on some of the performing assets that Twitter has. Uh, looking at increased discipline, some of the things I think that kind of got at that. At least one thing that caught my eye. Was the company talking about driving towards gap profitability in 2017? Uh, how exactly are they going to get there? It seems like it's going to be pretty much primarily cost savings, huh? Yeah, yeah. Like we were talking about before this started, is you know, it's you, you see the stock move up when things like this happen. They they beat uh, earnings estimates, uh, but you look at why, and even this quarter, it did uh, as they scale back some stock based compensation, uh, reduce some R and D costs. Uh, you know, it's a lot of it has to do with uh, cost cutting, and of course, revenue came in higher too. And that outsized revenue growth probably helped. But as we look forward and see their plans uh, to drive toward gap profitability, it looks mostly focused on uh, cost cutting. And you know, they they do emphasize they want to grow their core platform and stuff. But 
Um, you know, these things aren't as certain. The, the only certain path they have right now is cost cutting. And, you know, as long term, for any long term shareholders, you might look at something like that and and it's kind of sweet and sour. You know, it, it's nice that they're moving toward gap profitability, but, you know, to see that that's the way it's achieved, um, um, you know, it's hard to say that's that's a great thing that that's something investors should be uh, excited about. Yeah, it seems like uh, the company has decided to take kind of a new focus on the cost structure of the business. And they point specifically to um, sales and marketing, which used to be about 31% of revenue, and they are aiming for that to be somewhere between 22 and 26% in 2017. Um, that is obviously going to be helped as Twitter reduces headcount by about 9%, as most of the jobs uh, were in sales, partnerships, and marketing there. So that, that's mm-hmm. kind of an easy way for them to scale back costs in that segment. Um, they also pointed to cost of revenue, which was about 30% of revenue ex tax. And they're aiming for about 19 to 23 percent for 2017. They talked about exploring some different options with the owned and operated data centers they're using, and and just some of the infrastructure there. Um, exploring some partnerships to help bring down costs. So those are kind of two major segments that they are looking at to help them get towards gap profitability consistently in 2017. Um, but again, you, what you're not seeing is them saying, you know, outsized revenue growth or boosting margins or anything like that is what's going to get us there. Um, so, so it's nice. It, you know, they're cleaning up shop, they're trimming some of the fat, but uh, it's not really the way that, as an investor, I'd like to see them getting there. Yeah, and like I kind of said, that it's, it's sweet and sour because at the same time, uh, they do need to cut some costs. When you actually kind of look at the breakdown of their spending, uh, you'll see that you know the sales and marketing, which at the end of the day uh, ends up being most most of that sales and marketing expenses is uh, employee compensation, stock based compensation. Um, when you look back to the second quarter of this year, when uh, before some of their you know cost cutting, which is already underway, is starting to take effect, which some of that happened in the third quarter ahead of this uh, bigger cost cutting, uh, you'll see that uh, the stock based compensation was 28 percent of the company's second quarter revenue, um, and just for comparison, a company like Facebook, which is known for you know paying uh, quite a bit in stock-based compensation, is only 12.5% of uh, their revenue. So they definitely were getting a little bloated. So so yeah, it's tough to say. Uh, does all this cost cutting? I mean, obviously cost cutting can be good, but you know, like you said, we're not seeing those positive indicators, like expanding margin, outsized revenue, uh, those really being the focus. So. Yeah. yeah, interesting. And stock-based compensation for Twitter is something that has kind of long been kind of controversial and something that a lot of shareholders have been a little upset about. We talk about their their gap profitability and their non-gap profitability. That EPS number I talked about before uh, is a non-gap number. Um, and under gap rules, generally accepted accounting principles, uh, stock-based compensation is an expense that you have to recognize. And so that gets you to that about a hundred million dollar net loss um, on a gap basis. You can see them in their reconciliation. This is something that's available on their investor relations website. Going from that net loss number to the adjusted EBITDA number, which is a non-gap number and something that they like to point to in a lot of their results. Um, stock-based compensation is on an 160 million dollar expense for the most recent quarter, and that's held pretty consistently over the last five quarters. It's been somewhere between about 150 and 170 million. 
um, mm-hmm. that alone swings you back around to a positive adjusted EBITDA. So, um, you, when you look at the gap, non-gap numbers with Twitter, that's something that you have to keep in mind. Definitely. Um, some other stuff with Twitter, uh, they talked briefly, uh, I wish we'd gotten some more commentary on it, about the M&A stuff. Um, in, in his introductory remarks, Jack Dorsey said, you know, our board is committed to maximizing long-term shareholder value. I don't plan to comment any further on the topic. I know I was hoping for something. Um, you know, if we go back maybe a month, a month and a half, it seemed like mm-hmm. they were banking on having a deal set by this conference call, and they had kind of drawn a line in the sand of by the end of October, we want to come to our investors with something. Uh, you know, obviously, we kind of famously saw Disney, Google. Any major tech company, Salesforce, decide to bow out and and say formally that they weren't interested. Um, I think some Twitter shareholders are probably pretty happy about that, but you know, it, it just kind of speaks to management not really having full control of what's going on, and and maybe not um, maybe not having a great read on the business sometimes. Yeah, I think the lack of commentary seemed to, as you said, confirm like their lack of control. Um, it was interesting watching all the offers uh, supposedly come in, which uh, they, these are pretty major reports, New York Times, uh, Wall Street Journal. Uh, so this probably really was happening. But but yeah, to see uh, Dorsey open up the call and give it such little commentary um, just really leaves investors in the dark on exactly uh, are they you know really pressing for a sale um, and exactly what's going on here. So. I think shareholders are probably expecting. I know I was definitely expecting uh, more on that front, but and you look at kind of how that played out. You know, some of the most successful open and shut acquisitions that have happened in 2016 have been ones that came out of nowhere, were announced. You know, they went through the standard regulatory rigmarole, but they had to. You know, they had their suitor. They had already agreed to terms, and then it was announced. Uh, when you see a company saying we're exploring this and we're interested in this, and we're kind of open to accepting anything, that's not nearly as firm, right? They're they're trying to right. get the market excited and stir up some more interest, perhaps. And so, um, as you're watching from the sidelines, I think that this Twitter example in particular is just a great case study on when maybe you shouldn't bank on a deal happening because shares just flew all over the place on that speculation, and I'm sure some people were buying and selling kind of hoping to get a nice little premium on top of where shares currently were. Oh yeah, for sure. It it's uh you know, investors should definitely wait until there's a firm word of something and this was the ultimate the ultimate scenario where it probably did not work out for investors uh banking either way because the stock just moved everywhere. Right. Two other things I wanted to touch on, we got some insight on and some updates on in their quarterly report. Um, one of them was quarterly advertising revenue by geography. So year over year, this metric was up six percent. But you look at the growth there: twenty-one percent growth in international and negative two percent growth in the U.S. And I was kind of surprised to see that. Um, you know, obviously you're happy to see international segment <clears throat> continuing to grow, but the U.S. is <laughs> the most valuable advertising market. And so, seeing a decline there was a little concerning for me. Yeah, the uh, the decline in the U.S. is a big deal. You know, it makes you wonder how sustainable 
uh, Twitter's revenue growth is. And uh, that's kind of a tough concern as right now their overall revenue growth is decelerating uh, pretty significantly. I think, uh, let's see, in the second quarter, uh, revenue growth was uh, 20% year over year. And then it comes in at 8% year over year in Q3. Uh, so we're seeing a significant deceleration. So when you look at a core market like the United States uh, down in this quarter and amid this bigger decline of a year-over-year deceleration in total revenue, it is concerning. And it, it makes investors wonder uh, whether revenue growth can uh, continue from here. On the positive side, data licensing, uh, which is kind of the other main element of their revenue mix, grew 27% but it is a much smaller part of their overall business. So, you're working with a smaller denominator, um, and, and you're kind of earlier on in the runway there, so that's not terribly surprising. I think another point of optimism, though, for Twitter shareholders is it seems like the floor for monthly active users has been found. Uh, and it looks like it was somewhere around Q4 2015. And since then, we've seen nice year-over-year and nice sequential growth uh, on the MAU front. I think the concern here, and this is something that analysts brought up, um, is you know you had major events like the Olympics and the presidential election uh, over the last couple months and the last couple quarters when we've seen that this nice return to growth. Most recently, it was three percent year-over-year growth uh, for Q3 2016. Is there any possibility that once you have once you lose those huge catalysts, um, we might return to flat or even Declines on a sequential or year-over-year basis. Uh, management seemed to downplay the impact of those types of events, but I just think it's something you kind of have to be mindful of. Yeah, and especially given the way Twitter works, you know, it's a news-based platform. Uh, so that's definitely a question I have: is how sustainable this is. I was really disappointed how much they downplayed it, uh, but you know, we'll see as it goes on. And that isn't necessarily something that's going to prove out in next quarter's numbers. Um, you know, as as kind of a looming risk, you have to remember the election and then all of the post-election coverage will take us well through uh, calendar Q4. And so, if you're if you're looking for this risk to materialize at some point, it probably won't happen until Q1 or Q2 of 2017. So, uh, Daniel, turning our focus over to Amazon um, numbers. Debatably good, debatably bad. You know, the top line was fine. Revenue came in at thirty-two point seven billion, which was slightly up on estimates. Um, earnings per share clocked in at fifty-two cents, well below analyst expectations of eighty-two cents per share. And these results kind of surprised the market, and the stock sold off. I think it was about three or four percent. It's kind of held there since then. Um, I think that people had kind of gotten used to seeing. Earnings and and solid earnings uh, coming in for Amazon, and uh, were kind of taken aback because it seemed like they recognized um, or or decided to outlay a lot of internal investments this quarter, and then that wound up coming down and hurting them on the bottom line. Yeah, and it's kind of the opposite scenario as Twitter here is, you know, we see higher costs. Uh, but you know, really, a long-term focus uh, toward expanding margins, and because these are the type of investments, uh, as they're you know really investing in the fulfillment centers and different areas of the business, uh, Amazon very much so has a long-term focus on expanding margins, and we've seen that play out in the past. And 
yeah, I think as these high, these costs ramp up a little bit, investors kind of remember the days of the past when Amazon, uh, you know, was never reporting consistent earnings and uh, that it could bring up some some memories of that. And that could be why some of the bearish sentiment uh, toward the stock after seeing these lower than expected earnings. And and in fairness, uh, in Q3 2015, the company posted 17 cents in gap earnings. They posted 52 cents this quarter, so that is over 200% growth. Uh, business is moving in the right direction. I, I think that um, there were just some decisions that the company made to invest in itself and, and kind of build out some of its strengths a little bit more, and and that caused things to not look quite as rosy on the bottom line this quarter. So that investment <clears throat> came. It looked like from about three different parts. Uh, we had digital content, and that's kind of the prime video, and, uh, and and strengthening the ecosystem there, building out their original offerings. Right now, they're in four countries: the U.S., U.K., Germany, and Japan. It seems like they might be entering India with Prime Video sometime soon. And the strategy there, and and I think where you're seeing a lot of the spending is in content creation, and that's in their Amazon Studios segment. Um, the idea there is they're going to hold the worldwide rights to that content and be able to freely repurpose it or distribute it in other countries, uh, as opposed to licensing content uh, and being in kind of a third-party relationship and having limited rights. Um, that's a good strategy. It, it winds up being more expensive to create content yourself, naturally, uh, but but having the flexibility to do what you want with it, especially as you're looking to grow your global footprint, uh, is pretty important, I think. Yeah, and you know these investments, you you kind of see this in their guidance uh, going into the fourth quarter. Uh, they're estimating between zero and one point two five billion dollars in uh, operating in operating income, which is down from two point two billion in the uh, same quarter in two thousand fifteen. So again, um, you know, it's not just this quarter going into Q four. These investments play out. So they're going to cost a lot of money. And I think that that's why investors are just a little bit concerned. But, you know, investors really should keep in mind that uh, how Amazon has done historically with these investments. And, uh, you know, and we all know these uh, fulfillment centers are necessary. Every every winter we hear about these uh, issues with getting shipments to customers uh, as this huge influx of Amazon orders comes in for the holidays. Yeah, the company added 18 fulfillment centers in Q3. Uh, looks like they're going to add five more in October. For 2016, they're planning to add 26. Um, these are the types of things that cost you a decent amount of money up front, but are necessary for strengthening the business and, and making sure that your core competencies and competitive advantages kind of stay that way, right? Mm-hmm. Correct, yeah. And I think one of the other areas that we saw <clears throat> some upfront investment going uh, was in prime benefits. And so looking at things like Amazon Fresh, which is their produce and grocery delivery, and Prime Now, some of these same day delivery service stuff that they're looking to roll out. Um, mm-hmm. Again, these are things that strengthen their ecosystem, um, make the Prime membership seem even more valuable, and kind of keep people loyal to the Amazon brand. So I'm not too worried about that. Obviously, the numbers were jolting, and I think that. It might have been better for management to telegraph this a little bit, so it didn't seem quite as lumpy. They, I think, they said in the conference call like four times, like results were very lumpy, um, and, <laughs> and and I think that that's why we saw this market reaction, just because a lot of people were a little bit surprised that things weren't smoother. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
uh, is go, go ahead, ahead, Daniel. I was just going to say the uh, um, as far as Amazon Web Services uh, was another interesting area during the the call. Of course, it always is. Uh, because Amazon Web Services, I think investors think of Amazon as as this e-commerce company, and you know, at the end of the day, uh, a huge chunk of their operating profits uh, comes from Amazon Web Services, even though you know it's only about ten percent of revenue. Uh, so this is this was an area that investors should always make sure and turn to, even though they might not have experience with Amazon Web Services. The fact is, Amazon Web Services is a big deal, and AWS we could say for short. Yeah, and that is the really kind of a cash cow for the business. Um, mm-hmm. The divisions, this is I love this statistic. The divisions' 861 million operating profit was more than three times larger than the North America retailing profits, which is yeah. <laughs> bananas, and just kind of gives you an idea of of how crucial it is to the business, despite only being 10 percent of the top line. So, uh, kind of certainly something to be mindful of. Uh, that segment in particular had 55% year-over-year sales growth and 101% higher operating profits. So those are two things that are trending very nicely for them. Uh, anything else on the Amazon side, Daniel? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's just worth highlighting that even though they're predicting these higher costs, that uh, Amazon is doing great. Uh, their guidance for revenue growth in the fourth quarter was between 17% and 27%, uh, which puts them at a mid-range that's about in line with their year-over-year growth in the year-ago quarter, uh, holiday quarter of uh, 22%. So, you know, Amazon is firing on all cylinders. Uh, they're just making some big investments here, which at the en- end of the day, uh, shareholders should be, you know, I- excited about these investments. Uh, I think they're going to play out great and expand margins over the long haul, boost the value proposition for Prime. So I think our takeaway here is both for Twitter and Amazon, the immediate reactions were not necessarily the best long-term reactions, and and kind of the directions that we feel like these businesses are going. Yeah, I'd agree. Well, listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you just want to reach out and say hey, shoot us an email at industryfocus@fool.com. You can always tweet us at MF Industry Focus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, you can subscribe on iTunes or check out the Fool's family of shows at fool.com slash podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. For Daniel Sparks, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on!